Welcome to the Regenerate Podcast, exploring the regenerative movement in all aspects of life to revitalize, restore, and re-energize for a better world. I'm your host, Jenna. So stoked to have you here. Let's regenerate together. All right. Welcome to another episode. Today, we head to Manitoulin Island, located in northeastern Ontario, Canada, to chat with co-owner Peggy at Three Forks Farms. We get into everything from her philosophy on regenerative agriculture, food security, the local food movement, and even some seed-saving tips and tricks. So uh, without further ado, uh, let's get into it. And here is Peggy from Three Forks Farms. All right, welcome everyone. So yes, as mentioned, we have Peggy, who is co-owner of Three Forks Farm, also a huge leader in the local food movement and just overall badass woman. She has such a presence in a room. So super happy to have you here. Welcome, Peggy. Wow, you're making me bashful. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. You are very welcome. So to start off, this is going to sound like a very basic question, but I think a lot of people aren't really sure. So what is the day in the life of a farmer? Wow. The day in the life of a farmer. Um, that really depends on the day, but um, um, I think for me at Three Forks Farms, um, the way that we, and I don't know how much you want to get in the nuts and bolts of it all, but um I think for us, it's a, it's a large balance of um, trying to balance all of the many priorities that happen around a farm, everything from our day-to-day, -day, like planting, maintaining all the plants, maintaining all the animals, but also like the bigger picture stuff around, you know, how we do our cover crops and manage our team and make sure we get fed and then also have fun at the same time. Um, so I think it's a lot of balancing, a lot of a balancing act. Um, but um, yeah, I, it's really enjoyable and it's a lot of hard work. Uh, the other day we were saying um, if you could have, if you can compare what we do to a um, gym uh, routine, it would be like a combination of Tai Chi, CrossFit, and weightlifting like all day long. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of what we do. Um, but I don't know if that answers your question. No, that does. And that was actually, you know, that was a perfect analogy. I mean, you guys have crazy long days, a lot of problem solving, I imagine, kind of day to day, uh, year to year, season to season. So um, yeah, I just want to give some perspective on uh, to people on, you know, what is uh, the day in the life of a farmer and what it consists of. So with that, um, your farming specifically is, you know, all organic. I know you care a lot about how the land is treated. So what are some of the land management practices that you guys use and, and why is that important? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm glad you mentioned that we are organic, and I think that's a major part of our philosophy. And um, and for people that may not know, if, if I can just go into organic standards a little bit, um, the fundamental baseline or base of or the organic standards is soil. And soil, it's, it's, the whole concept is that if you nourish the soil, the soil will nourish everything above it and everything that grows. And so um, the, there's many layers to the organic uh, standards, but it also includes like um, 
with embedded within the standards is this regenerative process. So you should never be taking more than your um, than your take like you should never be taking more than you're giving back. And your practices should always be around building a stronger ecosystem, um, but also a stronger system that's completely around and involved in the farm. So that includes um, sustainability for all of the people that are involved, equity for all of the people and the animals that are involved, um, fair and humane treatment for every part of the farm. So that's everything from the people, the animals, the plants, and everything. And so uh, we really believe that the organic standard really kind of gives us a benchmark to work from, and then we can build from that too. And the other thing I would say about it is it also makes us accountable uh, because we have to, um, we because we're audited, audited every year on our organic standard and how we're compliant with the organic standard, it continually forces us to push harder and to be better um, about how we are engaging in those organic practices. Um, and so um, your question was around like what are the, the practices that we use on the farm? So some of the things that are unique to our farm than maybe to some other farms are things like um, we use a lot of uh, compost application. So rather than um, say some, a chemical fertilizer or an amendment that would go into the land just to feed directly to the plant, we actually feed the soil. And the compost um, not only feeds um, the plants, but it all feeds all of the microorganisms within the soil. And so um, that's a baseline of starting to build all of the mycorrhiza and all of the microbiology within the soil, which is like really important in agriculture and I think has been fundamentally dismissed over the last, I would say, almost 60 years or more. Um, and the whole philosophy is, is really to build that soil with all of the different micronutrients and microbiology that actually captures um and feed will bring available nutrients to the plant so for example like little like insects will will you know be carriers and different plants and different bacteria are actually carriers of nutrients that can be pulled from the from the from the air from the water from the soil and brought directly to the plant roots so that's just one example another thing that we do is um Cover cropping, so in organic philosophy, you always want to keep your land covered. Um, so uh, that also contributes to like a healthier soil biology, um, but it also allows to um, introduce new nutrients that can be captured either from the air or from the plants to make them more readily available for the next crop that goes in. Um, yeah, so those are a couple things that we do. And so would you say um, kind of some reasonings for that um, are related to kind of nutrient density for food? Is it related to climate change and environmental restoration? Kind of, you know, what is your, you know, your philosophy or your vision for why you do those things? Yeah, all of those things. I think um, part of what we do is also trying to be, sorry, I'm looking out my window at the field as I'm talking to you. So it's also inspiring me to on some of these things. but. Um, uh, our system is um, about 
building a strong ecosystem around where and, and, and a resilient ecosystem that isn't contaminating or damaging anything around us. And so when we think about um, climate change um, and things that are impacting climate change, like agriculture is one of the number one impacts on climate change. And so the, the number of things that contribute to climate change in agriculture are things like um, petroleum use and fertilizer inputs in particular. And so um, we really try to use a more organic uh, approach to that so that we're not contributing to those greenhouse gases. Um, so we don't use, like within the organic standard, you can't actually use any uh, petroleum-based inputs um, at all. So we can use um, uh, petroleum obviously for our tractors and things like that, but we do use, rather than doing a ton of mechanical work, we do a lot of manual work. So we use people um, and things like that. And then we um, do innovative practices to try and reduce the amount of um, amount of tillage and things like that that we need to do so that we're avoiding our tractor being in the field. Um, so yes, absolutely. Climate change is definitely something about that. Environmental restoration is also important. So we do, um, we want to make sure that we are uh, having a farm that can support all of the species that need to be here in order to have a thriving ecosystem. So for example, like we have a pond and we keep it, um, we want that to be a place where migratory birds can come, but we also, that's just one piece. And there's all of these other plants and um, um, micro environments that we have on the farm that support, you know, different lower level species, which you need to have in order to have support pollinators and, and to support the birds and the, and the bees and all the little things that need to happen. So um, that's also very important to us to make sure that we can have that balance, like have that beautiful balance on the farm so that we're supporting people with amazing food that can nourish them, but also supporting all of the other species that need to be um, on the land in order for the environment to thrive. And then the last thing I would say is um, you talk about nutrient density and the food itself. And I would say that all of the things that we do on the farm is about trying to build a stronger and better better food for people um, and so fundamentally like the the soil practices that we engage in like we have directly seen the difference that happens over time as you improve your soil and you feed your soil and you see we've seen it in the quality of the food how the food will last longer so that like reduces food waste we've seen how it is actually more nutrient dense so it actually has more weight to it so for example our chicken we do pasture raised chicken and every person who eats our chicken will say that you know you can eat far less of that chicken and be more full as and this is just a really simplified concept but you know i can't eat like as much of our chicken as i would have like some sort of conventionally bought chicken and that's just an example because it is so dense and that's as a result of our chickens being on this pasture that has all of these different nutrients that they wouldn't otherwise get if they were just in a barn or being barn raised or something like that. Um, and they have access to sun and soil and all of these different nutrients that I think are fundamental to building nutrient dense foods. Um, yeah.
Yeah, no, that, that's amazing. And it's, you're such a leader in kind of the regenerative farming movement here in, you know, Northern Ontario. And I'm really excited to see, you know, more farms kind of make that transition and, and kind of see, you know, the same vision and philosophy that you guys have. Um, so with that, I know you're also really involved in the local food movement. Obviously, you, you attend markets. I know you sit on many boards, committees, etc. Um, so for many years. So what successes have you seen there? And what is your vision for the future? Oh, wow. There's been so much success over the last 10 years. Like, I've been involved in the local food movement for a long time. And the last 10 or 15 years have been a wild and amazing ride. And, but it's been incredibly powerful to see as more and more people have um, acknowledged the importance and relevance of local food. And I would say that not just on like a personal level, like in terms of you know, I eat food and I need to eat local food, but I've seen a, like a fundamental shift in the last um, five years in particular, where people are recognizing the value of local food and its role to really uh, impact local economy and to impact um, local ecosystems and to um, impact like just general community thriving. So, um, you know, smaller farms, diverse farms, um, uh, lots of different people on the land is really impacting like communities to be thriving in a way that we haven't seen in a long time. Um, so seeing, you know, I would say, say like the local food movement and, and it's not a phase, it's not just like a point, it's like something that's continuing to grow. And um, it's really exciting to see you know, when, when I first came to, um, came to the Sudbury, Sudbury region, there was a handful of local food farmers, you know. We struggled at that point, and this was in uh, 2012. So at that point, like, the farmer's market was really struggling. Like, there was barely, like, there was a few amazing farmers that were standing strong with it, but it was really lacking from farmers that were actually able to attend or were attending at all and there wasn't really a lot of local food farmers that were doing a lot of work since that time there's like hundreds hundreds of farmers in the region and new farmers so that's young people coming to the land and even retired people like t making the choice to make the switch and they're like digging their feet in and digging their hands into the land and starting to feed people and so we see i've seen more food available locally I can't even tell you how much like a comparison it's, it's mind-boggling how much more food that we have now than we did um 10 years ago or like eight years ago um and we're just going to continue to see that grow and I think that my passion particularly in northern Ontario about this is that there is such a need for food sovereignty and food security um, and there's a real passion to have food security, but we just don't, we need to really support more farmers to be doing that. And so I've done everything I can to like help the infrastructure be in place to support farmers to, to continue to grow. Um, and that's not just for my own benefit, but for the local food system overall. Um, and I'm really proud to see that it's happened. And if I can just say one more thing, um, I think one of the other most powerful, um, moments in the in the last eight years that we saw was the um, we want northern chicken campaign and its timeliness with 
uh, a big change shift in chicken production in, in Ontario. Um, so farmers and organizations from all across Northern Ontario were banding together to say, you know, we want Northern chicken because there was no availability of chicken um, on a local food level uh, um, in Northern Ontario because there was only one quota holder. So it was only one producer that had the capacity or the license, I should say, to um, one sell or produce over 300 chickens. And then secondly, was to able to sell them anywhere off the farm or promote the fact that they even grew chickens because the regulations prohibited farmers from being able to do uh, more than 300 chickens or promote that they grew or wanted to sell chickens at all. Like you weren't allowed to talk about it. Um, so um, when the We Want Northern Chicken campaign happened, it kind of happened in parallel with at the same time as uh, more quota was becoming available nationally and we really had a very strong voice uh, that helped, I think, I would say strongly helped to influence the, the introduction of the artisanal chicken program, um, which is a program that now allows farmers to grow anywhere from 300 to 3,000 chickens, or no, 600 to 3,000 to, to 3, chickens. And now we have chicken farmers all over Northern Ontario that are able to like direct market to consumers where we didn't have that before. So that was really, really powerful. Wow, and I had no idea about that. So that's, thank you for sharing uh, on this platform about it. Cause um, I, yeah, I mean, it's super important to, to learn about these sorts of things that have changed over time. Um, I definitely wanna get into a discussion about food security and food sovereignty. Um, you know, we talk about, you know, here in Northern Ontario, our local movement's very strong. It's not like that everywhere though. Um, so on a more global level, like, do you feel our food system is secure and resilient? And you know, if not, what sorts of things are contributing to food insecurities? Oh, wow. That's like a huge topic and you could have a whole podcast all into its own about that. But no, I don't think for the, for the most part that our, we are food secure. Canada definitely is not food secure um, at all. Uh, we're our, our, it's it's uh, really upsetting to think about how food insecure our country is and how it's becoming more food insecure on so many different levels. Um, and I think there are places in the world that have made a concerted effort to become more food secure. Um, and those, there are places like that, that we can look to as leaders to like really think about, you know, how we can change our, our local food systems. But I would say, you know, fundamentally, um, export based agriculture is one of the biggest issues. So, um, in the, um, the G8 or G7, like the developed world, the common philosophy around thriving agriculture is to have an export-based agriculture system that you export most of your agriculture products and then you buy in most of your agriculture products and which is just like I think it's just fundamentally from a regenerative or like even a sustainability perspective is flawed and I think when we look back to thriving economies and thriving um, communities and cultures um, having a system where you grow all the food for yourself and then you have excess crops that you you know can export or sell to other communities and things like that 
makes a lot more sense because you're keeping the money in your community and you're you're feeding the people and then you're but also having additional income coming in from the crops that you do really well or the things that you can grow abundances of um and we're just not doing that at all in northern and in, in canada and uh we're really focused so for example and so, sorry i'm like focusing on the canadian context just because what i i know but like for example in in at points in in this season you cannot it's really hard to buy an ontario carrot um even though we grow a lot of carrots in ontario but right now a lot of the large producers are actually they grow their carrots up until covid they were getting shipped to the united states to get processed and then we buy them back as a processed product so which is just like it doesn't make any sense right so you know and these kinds of things are food security issues so you know there were people um even this season that couldn't get their carrots processed because we have actually additionally lost the infrastructure within Ontario and within Canada to like handle the products that we're even producing because we've, we're exporting our raw product to the United States to process it and then we're buying it back. And so we don't have like the processing facilities, the storage facilities, all these other things that are like fundamental to a, an important and strong food system. So I, you know, I think for me in my, in my perspective, you know, going back to a, 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 like feed ourselves first and export our excess i think and this is my narrow my narrow perspective like i am no economist or you know i don't know the full agriculture system but from what i've seen it just seems like fundamentally flawed and then on a more local level i think we need to do more to support farmers really more farmers being in our regions and more farmers scaling up to various scales. So there's there's places for all different scales of agriculture and they all have a role and they're all important roles. Um, we need to have the small farmers that can do direct marketing. We need to have medium scale farmers that can, you know, sell into our grocery stores. And then we need to have like our, you know, export based um, farmers too. So I think there's a balance of all of these things. And I think there's potential, but we need to start thinking about how do we keep the food that we're being produced in our country to here to feed our people and how do we build the infrastructure that we need um, to be able to process and handle and store that food um, and how do we um, make sure that there's like the last piece is like is the actual distribution system that can actually move food from places to where it needs to be so that's an, a, a, a third piece that is really flawed in terms of food security so the way that food is moving around the world um, is really influencing how um, volatile uh, our access to food is particularly for um, people that only have maybe one one method of getting food to them like or one method of transport so for example if you live in a flying community or like something that's accessible only by train or boat you're, and you aren't able to like have the food in stores that you need for a, or being produced in your community, um, then you are very food insecure. And so we don't have any kind of backup systems to ensure that these people have the security that they need, which is a major flaw. And we don't even have the infrastructure within that distribution system 
to be able to like, for example, sorry, just to digress, but um, right now, if if we wanted to have, say there's a, a farmer in Northeastern Ontario that's growing a lot of carrots, that enough carrots that could feed all of Northern Ontario, there is not a system in place that could make that happen because we just don't have the infrastructure or the logistics and all of these things that make, like in order to move that food appropriately because we've come to rely our whole food distribution system to corporations like the major grocery stores handle all of our food. And so there's just like no, to like circumvent that and to like start to build infrastructure that supports regional food production is a huge undertaking. And there are great leaders that are working on it, but um, it does directly influence our food security. I don't know um, if that made sense, but. <laughs> no, no, it did. And it, it was beautifully said. And I, you highlighted um, a lot of things that I don't think people are aware of. And I, and that's why I think, you know, having conversations like these are so important because it starts with more people knowing about what's going on and, and, and how to kind of start to create, um, create that infrastructure and create change and, and ideally inspire those leaders to, um, you know, fix the, the system that we're in currently. So no, that was really beautifully said. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so a next, the next topic I want to discuss, uh, something I don't know really much about, but I know you guys do it on your farm, which is seed saving. Mm -hmm. Um, so please like, tell me what is that all about? Uh, what's the reasoning behind that? And is there like a tie into food security there with seed saving? hundred percent. So seed saving is fundamentally is like saving the seed that you need in order to plant your crop for the next year. So, um, we, I have saved seeds since the day one when I started farming and it's, I think it's a fundamental right of farmers to be able to do and to engage in and fundamental need for Canadian food security. So I forget the statistic right now off the top of my head, but like, like it's something like 90, I would say it's gotta be more than that, like 90, over 95% 95 of the, of the seed that is planted in Canada comes from another country. So when we talk about it, it's, it's like, it's a very high number. Like it's maybe a 95 is high, too high, but it's, it's like up there. And um, so when you think about food security and there's no seed being produced in the country to actually support our food system, that is like a fundamental issue, right? And so, um, to take that further, um, because we have um, become so reliant, so historically, farmer, all farmers save seed. So historically, back in the day, you would have, you know, regions would have region-specific varieties of food. So, you know, everyone would grow, for example, the same kind of beet. Everyone would grow the same kind of carrot because because the way that food crosses and way seed saving happens, like it's the, um, I don't want to digress, but anyways, the like regions would have their, the, their crops that grew really well. Right. And then the, sometimes they would trade those seeds with other regions and, and you would introduce new things and what have you. And then as in um, around like the nine, the early 1900s, um, a shift started happening where, seed companies started coming into the picture and they started to say, oh, well, you know, I can sell seeds and, 
and I can make your life easier and I can give you new varieties and all these things. And, and that was, there was a great advantage to that, to having, you know, seed companies take on that role, but it kind of progressed and progressed and progressed to a point where um, seed companies now hold like all of the control of the seed, a lot of the control of the seed. And um, it puts farmers into this continuous cycle where they continually have to buy the seed from the seed company because they become dependent on certain varieties or they're hybrids. So they can't, if you try to save seed from them, it won't produce the same crop the next year or they're dependent on specific chemicals. And so you have to, you have to buy this seed and use this chemical in order to get the crop to work properly with it, right? It's a very complicated seed system. And so fundamentally, we really believe that growing seed is so important to food security and additionally, in Northern Ontario, we, what we want to do is we really want to be able to grow seed that is adapted to our region. So, um, for example, if you were to buy, what's a good example, spinach seeds, you know, from like a big seed company right now, there is a good chance that they come from Denmark or they come from New Zealand. And so those climates aren't like our climate. And so to expect that that spinach seed is going to like thrive here doesn't really make sense because it's like, it's like saying, you know, taking me and transplanting me to Jamaica and saying, here, thrive in Jamaica. And I'm just sweating and I'm wilting all the time. And I'm just like not being able to do what I need to do because I don't, I'm not, I'm like, I'm not adapted to that climate, right? So we're expecting plants to do the same thing because we're importing them from Israel and from Denmark and all these places and expecting them to thrive in our environment, right? Which doesn't always work. And so that's why people get frustrated because their, their spinach is always bolting and going to seed or like their onions aren't growing properly and they're just not like getting as much as they want because we haven't been growing seeds in our region so that they are resilient and adaptable to our climate, but also, yeah, like they, they're resilient in a way that they can respond to our specific climate conditions. So for example, where we are, you know, we have a certain window of time when we can grow. We have periods where there's like lots of rain in the fall and like uh, there's periods of drought. We've been experiencing drought in the summers recently. And so when we start to build seed that over generations lives within those conditions, it starts to adapt and understand how to thrive in those conditions to be able to continue to grow because every plant or every species wants to procreate, right? Like the whole concept of life is to, is, you know, to procreate or not, not as, but fundamentally most species want to procreate. And so, um, that every plant's going to try and find its best way to be able to do that. And so by building or growing seed year after year after year in a region, it starts to adapt, it starts to thrive, and then it starts to, you know, grow better in that region. Um, and so that's part of why we do what we do, because that's part about regeneration of agriculture. If you want to talk about going back to regenerative agriculture, that's building varieties that are actually for our region that actually thrive really well, also within organic systems that aren't dependent on, on fertilizers and chemicals, 
So all of these things impact the genetics of a plant. And so we want to see ourselves, but other farmers take back that, that right and that responsibility to like grow more seeds that will work well for them and, and share them with other people so that we can have stronger food security, seed security, and then just generally better food that's growing in our region. Wow, my mind is blown. Thank you. <laughs> Holy, I had no idea it was that uh, that big of a topic. And like, there's so much to it that I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm just going to ponder on that probably all night and probably yeah. look into it some more. So um, I'm happy to talk about it lots more at some other time. But yeah, it is something that a lot of people don't realize, you know, People don't realize when you buy seeds in a seed catalog that they're coming from Israel or some other place. And so, yeah. Yeah, and there's and there's probably so much opportunity to increase biodiversity there. And, you know, I mean, with carrots alone, like we think that there's just one species of carrot, but there's, you know, there's tons. And so if we can actually start um, building, you know, the biodiversity and keeping the seeds year after year, and again, not being reliant on maybe one company that sells a seed, you know, then, you know, again, the ecosystem thrives and mm-hmm. again, that, that movement of regeneration happens. So, wow. Very, very, very interesting. Yeah. And can, can I just say one more thing? It's just like on that. So just like when we're talking about regenerative and we're talking about like food security and things like that, like the other things that happens, and this is, you could talk to a geneticist about this, but what happens sometimes even in the seed world is that like a variety will collapse. So because it's been inbred so much um, and it's been just narrow, like it's continued to narrow and narrow and narrow its genetics, like um, it'll actually collapse. And so sometimes, you know, if only one seed breeder is, is handling a certain variety of, of, of seed, then all of a sudden those, that genetics can just disappear. And so crops have disappeared because of improper management and like by being managed by only like say one person or something like that. And so that's, that's why it's really important for us to have like varieties being grown by different, all sorts of different people and like crossing them and like doing all sorts of letting them interbreed, you know, that's what makes life thrive is like, you know, let things cross and interbreed. We don't need to all be white, you know? And so, um, so it is a really important part of food security. Wow. Very, yeah. Very, very, very interesting. Um, I know we're getting close to time here and I want to um, talk about your farm. You've recently relocated to Manitoulin Island. I mean, you've expanded your your land and I know you have some pretty interesting visions for the future of your farm. So um, yeah, what do you see happening kind of uh, at Three Forks Farm in the next few years? Mm. Wow. There's so many pieces. Um, yeah, I think that um, I think there's two things I would maybe say. So there's like there's like our farm specific, and then there's our broader, bigger picture stuff. And I think that on the farm specifically is that we're really excited about um, the work that we're going to do on building the soil. So when we moved here, the the land had had been undernourished for many years. So it hadn't been maintained, it hadn't been supported, it hadn't been thriving. The fertility is very low here. Um, and so we're really excited to like 
see over time like how our organic practices and our regenerative practices will impact the fertility um, and how we'll actually start to see um, higher yields um, on everything that we're growing. So at our other land, we saw this would happen, you know, when we started too, is because our other land that we had was also not nourished. And so um, over time, we'll see better, better food being produced and um, more higher yields per square foot. Um, I'm also really excited, and maybe this is just because it's on my, on my brain, is um, how our team is starting to become a bigger part of our farm. So we've, you know, always believed in like paying people um, a, wa a fair wage on our farm. And we're really excited that like, hopefully in the next couple of years, our team is going to become like a bigger part of our farm and that, you know, we have staff that return and they're taking on more responsibility and really starting to like be involved in shaping how the farm grows, which is, and not just grows food, but grows like as an entity and how it continues to feed people in different ways and growing for crops. And so that's a really beautiful piece, I think, and is really important to us, like how we, yeah, our relationship with the people that are involved in the, in the food. And um, I'm excited about that. And then the last piece is that we, hopefully when in post COVID days, um, we're really excited about, um, the opportunities to bring people onto this land and to like have them engaged in this and we have some plans around some you know event spaces and eric and i really love cooking and we love sharing our food with people in lots of different ways and so we have some kind of really cool and fun ideas about bringing people onto the land so they can experience the food directly um in the future so we really really hope that that's possible because I, I i we we've had we did have a farm tour here this year and it was really great and we want to be able to like share what we do more directly with people in a way that they can learn but also just see where and how food is being grown and um but also interact with their food on a more direct and close level uh which i think is incredibly nourishing for people for their soul and like um yeah for the community so that's kind of what I'm excited about. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll be there for sure. I would love to attend an event at your farm and, and check out what you guys have going on there. Um, so to end off, I always like to ask, I mean, you've already given us so many different uh, advice and, and learnings, but um, what is one thing you would give our listeners on how to integrate a more regenerative lifestyle? Hmm. I think, you know, just, I think connecting with your community on a deeper level, I think is super regenerative because I think when we start to like deeply connect with our community, we start to see the interconnectedness of the, all the things. So, you know, um, you know, I engage like, say I engage with my dentist and my dentist learns about my food and, and then we build a relationship and, 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 and we learn about different people's struggles and we learn about where they're thriving and we start to support each other on a deeper kind of community level. I think that kind of regenerative practice is really, really important. I think it's also really needed these days. Um, and I know that's, that's completely relevant to food, but I think it's also relevant to where people are at. Um, 
And I would, of course, have to say that, you know, support local food, eat more local food as much as you can. And, uh, you know, as, and I know it's not accessible to everyone and it's not always possible, but, um, you know, at least acknowledging the value of local farmers and not just farmers, but like harvesters, gatherers, all the people on the land that are like bringing food to people that, um, so that they can be nourished, I think is really, really valuable. Um, yeah. That's amazing. And uh, I would totally agree with your, you know, your comments on community and, you know, that's just as linked into regenerative, you know, the regenerative movement as say agriculture. Um, we all, you know, everything is interconnected. So um, that's very beautifully said. Um, so last thing is where can people find out more about Three Forks Farms? Oh, oh, if you want to learn more about us, we're, you know, all over the the internet. Uh, we have uh, a website, threeforksfarms.com, um, and we're on Instagram and Facebook. And you can, of course, of course find us at the Saturday uh, Sudbury Farmers Market, which is a fantastic place to um, uh, meet us and other farmers. Uh, so, yeah, we really encourage you to come out and, and meet us and try some more food. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Peggy, for joining us on the podcast today. You were incredible. I know I've got some more learning to do um, after this. And uh, I wish you all the best on the farm in the future and can't wait to follow up with you soon. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. It's a real honor. Thanks for joining us on the Regenerate podcast. If you're interested in checking out more of our content, please subscribe to the channel. Uh, you can also visit us on YouTube at Regenerate Co. You can send us an email, regeneratecoe at gmail.com. And if you're interested in connecting with me, Jenna, the host, uh, you can find me on Instagram at Jenna Thornburg. So thanks for joining us.